Welcome to Youth Violence and Crime. My name is Tim and I'm the host of this podcast. This podcast is associated with the subject of the same name at Tabor College. This week I talk with Jenna Harris who is a youth worker in West Australia's far north about her experiences of culture, race, racism and the topic of violence. Welcome to Youth Violence and Crime. I'm here with Jenna Harris. Uh, hi, Jenna. Hello. How are you? <laughs> um, great. How are you doing today? Perfect. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Um, and Jenna, we were thinking about how to introduce, I was thinking about how to introduce Jenna on the podcast just before we got started, um, because how we met was through a, another youth worker friend and then um, then I watched some, uh, kind of a, a talk that Jenna gave at a youth work conference, um, almost two years ago. And I thought the, what Jenna shared there is so perfect for this podcast. Her story is, is so, uh, powerful, I think. Um, and particularly in this, this topic of, uh, race and racism and its connection to symbolic and structural and cultural violences. So, um, yeah, so that's why I said, hey, Jenna, do you want to come on? And here we are. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. This is the part I haven't even thought about how to introduce myself. So um, I'll that's just all good. things out of the air. <laughs> I like food. <laughs> I love curries. <laughs> Great. That's probably the first thing you need to know about me. I love hot sauce. Nah. Um, nice. About me, I am a, an Australian and I'm married to a Kiwi. So we have been uh, lived in both of those countries, but also a lot of other parts of the world um, where we've worked with mm. um, all sorts of young people and all sorts of um, privileged and very marginalised people around the world. Mm. Um, but I am actually talking to you from Gugaja land. So I'm over here in the great sandy desert. Um, but... I am, am a Barabara woman from Gunungara country. So even though I'm on um, Aboriginal land here, it's not my Aboriginal land when mine is mm. um, over in the Blue Mountains. And unfortunately, COVID has meant that I haven't really got to spend any time mm. over on my country. So, um, But it is an mm. absolute privilege to be here on Gugaja land with the Gugaja people. So um, hot sauce awesome. around the world. <laughs> now here in the Great Sandy Desert. Those are probably the best things to know about me. (laughs) (laughs) So important follow-up question. What's your favourite kind of curry? (laughs) Oh, good question. I usually go a beef vindaloo. I do like Indian curries. Um, Nice, very nice. Pretty much always good. But at home I prefer to cook (laughs) off a... Uh, like garam masala base, so probably more mm. the masala, but um, usually make Very them nice. deeper in flavour. There yeah. you go. <laughs> the important thing. I'm more of a beef rendang kind of person, but uh, yeah, yeah, because I spent time over there. Yeah. Um, the other, the other follow-up question I was going to ask, a bit more serious. I mean, this is a bit of my ignoramus. Where's the Great Sandy Desert? I am Australian, <laughs> I promise. That's okay. I think there's about seven deserts in Australia, so more than people think. Uh, so I'm currently yeah. northeast of Australia. Um, so if you think of the modern day okay, border yeah. between WA and the Northern Territory, I'm pretty close to the border, but I'm actually in Western Australia. Um, and probably about seven or eight hours drive south from the top. So I'm trying to like give you a bit of a visualisation of where I am <laughs> because I can't just say – well, actually, you can yeah. just Google um, Balgo, which is the community. <laughs> um, if, you, you know, if you're interested in geography, Google where Balgo is and it will give you the exact spot. But generally, northeast, but down in the desert. Um, just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's not in the centre, but it's, you know, definitely not near the edge of Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's interesting, I think, for any of our listeners who might not be um, Tabor youth work students, you know, because I've got some 
according to my stats, who are listening from Europe and America. Um, I don't know how that happened, but it did, which is awesome. Um, So I'm, to kind of paint a picture of how big Western Australia as a state is, I'm um, here from Wajak Nunga Budja country, which is uh, the city, what um, white men call the city of Perth. And that's, what, about five hours flight from where you are, would you say? Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, you have to take a three-hour flight up to the top and then a another three-hour flight um, into where yeah. I am. But I think it's about three and a half thousand k's to Perth from here. And we're in wow. the same state. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 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 Huge, huge. That might come into our conversation as we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's probably helpful yeah. as well. So I'm probably going to talk a lot about the context of Australia. But for those listeners that are mm. overseas, um, you're, the likelihood of you being in a country that has been colonized is very high and the likelihood of mm-hmm. you having indigenous people in your country is also very high so there's a lot that can probably still be um taken um from what we end up talking today and still be so relevant mm. to so many other countries sure well like i'm even at mm. the moment looking at a um a group called the sabi people which is up in scandinavia and they were, you know, they were colonized, you know, Europeans colonizing Europeans. Mm. So um, it wasn't just mm. kind of England, Spain, France colonizing the world. There was still so much other right. colonization that happened mm. um, on different parts of the world. So, yeah, really relevant. Yeah. yeah. That's actually a very good point because I discovered that when I watched a Christmas movie with my toddler around Christmas, of course, where I didn't even know this Savi people existed until I forget what the movie was called. It was a really good Christmas movie. Anyway, they introduced these people yeah. and it was like, I was like, who are they? And then yeah. Googled it and found out that they're almost completely wiped out. And mm. isn't that crazy to think that we didn't even know that this people group was colonized and almost wiped out completely in Europe. So it's, yeah. it's definitely a global issue. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Jump into it. If you want. So Yeah. Um, that was a long introduction, but that's cool. Um, <laughs> I, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about your story in relation to this topic? Should we yes. start there? Sure. Um, so I descend from uh, a man called, well, he was the Chief Miranda, was what he was called. Um, he sounded like a pretty amazing man. Um, he actually fought in World War Two. Um and actually he wore this golden breastplate um, to signify that he was the chief. And that breastplate is actually in a museum in Camden, New South Wales. That's like a random fact. <laughs> anyway, so chief and brother. Wow. And then, um, and obviously people came before him, but he's the man I know most about in my ancestry. And then but what I want to get to is then my grandfather. So he grew up in a foster home, which was a very typical story mm-hmm. for um, people like kind of throughout the 1900s and, and earlier, a lot for Indigenous young people, a lot of them grew up in foster home, whether it was stolen generation mm-hmm. or just um, a general foster home experience. Yeah, it's crazy how prevalent it was at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I also descend from a first week convict. So my wow. ancestry, I'm like as Australian as I can really. <laughs> Uh, you know, my ancestors, <laughs> um, but you know, in terms of even that in itself, in terms of the topic of violence, like you know, one of my ancestors mm-hmm. being a prisoner, like who knows what um, kind of violence has he experienced um, before even coming to Australia? Mm. Australia. Anyway, mm-hmm. so my grandfather, he grew up in a foster home, and then he ended up meeting my grandmother. And an interesting story: he, my grandparents met through my grandma's dad who was an illegal bookie and my grandfather came to him to like do some betting and then ended up meeting my grandmother and that's how yeah. they met and fell in love and Aww. then seven children and, <laughs> that's cute um yeah so beautiful but then in when he was in his 70s a cousin found him and you know they started they connected and started chatting and she talked about the family tree and oh this is all the 
Aboriginal side of the family. And he was like, what are you talking about? And turns out, you know, that there's just so much history that he um, didn't wow. have for most of his life that he was then able to mm. learn about when he was in the 70s. Wow. And that was so mm. I found out probably it's about close to 10 years ago now. And at the time, that was just a really cool fact. I was like, oh, cool, like I have Aboriginal mm. ancestry. That's a great heritage. And I was kind of proud of that, but I didn't really mm. know what that meant. Um, mm. uh, today, it is a huge part of my identity, and I'll kind of get into why it's such an important part of my identity. Um, but I guess that's kind of a little bit about the story of how I've come to learn about my ancestry. And that there's a few bits in there that I just wanted to bring up. Um, one of them is that when my grandparents met, my grandfather said that he was Spanish. And we don't know if he was told huh. he was Spanish because, you know, back then you didn't want to be Indigenous because you had no rights essentially. Mm. Um, mm. And, or he, you know, told the story that he was Spanish and that's why he was so dark because for his own safety and of which I don't blame him yeah. to kind of go by mm. another story to live as they did. Because I don't know if my grandma would, would have even been able to marry him if he was if he kind of went with the identity of being aboriginal i don't know if that would have been mm, you know mm. in the day that would have been it would have been frowned upon so yeah. whatever whether it was he was aware of his indigenous identity or unaware either way um it just really sucks that he wasn't able to live into that during his life mm. um because it was just unsafe for him to do so so um wow. It's been a journey for my whole family. And then I guess where I've got to, and it's taken me, you know, it took me quite a few years to get there, is that I've realised that if I don't identify as an Aboriginal woman and if I don't choose to um, delve into my culture, look into that, try and uphold that, then this, the colonial mandate that started, mm. which I'll get to, that it means that they've won. It means that this plan that yeah. these white people came mm. from England, they came to take over and to get rid of uh, Indigenous people and Indigenous culture, if that was their plan, mm. then they've won if I choose to ignore this part of myself. So I guess that's yeah. why this whole thing is so important to me and important mm. to... I guess what I choose to continue to do from here, knowing about my history, but knowing about the reality and truth of what Australia is today, where we've come from. Um, like mm, I, I can't mm. not take up this um, important task of being proud and loud about who mm. I am and, and where I've come from. So yeah, yeah. that's a little bit, bit, bit about me, bit about my family and um, mm. there's so many other details i could go into but i'll try and keep it brief <laughs> sure um <laughs> yeah so i guess yeah i mean uh, there's i wrote sorry you go no no sorry you go i can keep talking forever. um i wrote quite a few notes on on what you said um yeah. of things that i'm like i can see some there's a lot of um depth there that i'd love to follow up on yeah. um that really I think will help our listeners make the connection with how colonization was violent, but still is violent yes. to this day. And how, how it's something I never even thought of until you put it the way you did just now that um, embracing your Aboriginal identity, cultural identity is kind of like a nonviolent resistance yeah. to colonization. Definitely. Mm. Yep. To say, no, I won't be moved and I'm going to resist your your violence yes. to the white man. 100%. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, and um, when we talk about colonisation as a violence, mm. um, for us the answer to this is going to be pretty obvious, but how do you see it as a violence? How do you see colonisation itself? Mm. as a violence sure so 
the first, one of the first, I think, violent acts was the Declaration of Terranullius, which in Latin mm. means a land belonging to no one. So mm. uh, the British came to Australia and they, under their laws, they were able to establish their claim on the land because they declared that the land belonged to no one. So that was how they were able to justify occupying the land. Um, so I guess that was a violence in the sense that it, well, it kind of was set up to, um, that was like the start of the violence. There was all the physical violence that came from that. Yeah. They mm. needed the land to belong to no one. They needed to get rid of the people. But mm. it was also mm. violence in the sense that it was so dehumanizing of what existed there already, yes. the culture that existed, mm. the land um, that it mm. exists in its own right. And so that was almost like the first, uh, it's almost like a declaration of violence, I feel like, um, which is so mm. weird. And mm. Terranullius was in place until 1967. So 1967, there was, yeah. mm-hmm. um, oh, actually, I could be getting my dates wrong. 1967 was actually when Indigenous people were um, allowed to citizenship. So my yes. what's crazy is like my mum was seven years old. She's Indigenous, so she didn't hmm. even know. She would have been seven years old yeah. and only then been considered a citizen of the land and seen as, mm-hmm. hope, well, the idea was mm-hmm. that they were seen as equal humans. So before my mum was seven, yes. she would have been considered a lesser human if she was lived into her indigenous identity, which is crazy to think how of how much it is that history is so recent and so mm. within mm. our within our time. So yeah, I guess Terranolius was the yeah. declaration of. I feel like it's a, was a declaration of violence, and then what happened from that mm. was a heck of a lot of physical violence, which is the sadly the story mm. of a lot of places that were colonised, which was, um, well, first of all, killing people, you know, rounding people mm. up, kicking them off their land. There was a lot of torture that happened. There's stories um, out from mm. this country of, you know, essentially torture um, of Indigenous people, um, rape, like so many cases of physical violence. Mm. But then since that Terranolius was declared, there was also a lot of other um, ways that violence was conducted to against people's culture, against their sense of mm. belonging to the land. Um, so it's not just that, you're, that that physical violence is happening, but people's language is being mm. taken away, people's land being taken away, people's... Mm. Um, cultural freedom being taken away, which in itself is a form of violence. It's, you know, violating their sense of um, sense of self, sense of identity, sense of self-determination. Mm. Um, so, mm. so much violence was happening, yeah. um, you know, mm. in the late 1700s, and it just kept going and going and going. And then today... Mm. Um, and a, a lot of good has happened to, to try and kind of undo and turn a new page from a lot of what's happened. Um, but today I would say that we still have a lot of modern forms of colonisation. There's still a lot of ways mm. that currently there isn't self-determination for Indigenous people um, in their own uh, ways of living and, and spaces of being and mm-hmm. so many people that still don't have their land, so many people that have completely lost mm-hmm. their language and there's, yeah, just a lot of, there's a lot of grief and a lot of trauma, mm-hmm. um, but it kind of mm-hmm. all started around that um, that declaration of terra nullius that came from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think we... And I think... Um... Yeah. Sorry, if I connect it to your story as well, like that's evidence of this cultural violence of the cultural genocide because, you know, you didn't even know about your ancestry until 10 years ago. And yeah. it, you know, that's evidence of it because it's, it's almost like symbolically saying um, your cultural history needs to be suppressed 
and buried yes. and as if it's, you know, and, and that's actually taken away a part of who you are, which you've yeah. now been able to rediscover now. But yeah, I can see that as that's evidence of, of what they were trying to do from the start. Yeah, and with that terranos. Interestingly, yeah. so when New Zealand became a country, um, there was I'll, I'll need to find the link for you after this um, to more cool. information about this. But essentially, what happened was um, in you know the British government, there was actually conversation that's recorded that basically said, mm. "What's happening in Australia is so bad, we cannot do to wow. New Zealand what we've done in Australia." So. New Zealand ended wow. up treaty, which is amazing for New Zealand. Mm. I mean, New Zealand still has pretty mm. horrific colonisation stories. Like, I'm definitely not taking away mm. from um, the kind of grief and trauma that's there. But, you know, mm. in Australia, we still don't have a treaty. We still don't actually have a constitution mm. that recognises that Indigenous people were here and were here before um, mm. colonisation happened. So... Yeah, there's a there's a lot of um, a lot of work to be done, <laughs> um, to yeah, say the least. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, mm. yeah. But yeah, there's um, that's kind of what's been. And then I guess an example of modern colonization would be for me in my lifetime is that I went through school. I I can't believe I can't remember a time that I didn't probably before I was about fifteen. I didn't think that Australia started until Captain Cook got there. Like mm, I learned about mm. the colonial history of Australia. Yeah. I don't remember learning much about uh, Indigenous culture, about the the land before colonial time. You know, I didn't, mm. there, was, there was none of that. So even like you're saying like that suppression, like there's still suppression mm. of, um, celebrating culture and celebrating um, mm. Indigenous people for who they are and the, the space um, that they should take up in our conversation and in the honouring mm. of, mm. of, like, who's come before us, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Mm. That's a big one, I think. And it was one that I noticed when I used to work in a school was the treatment of... Um, you know, like actually, just as I say this, I remember when I went to school, we used to have a whole day where you would come dressed up as like an, you know, someone from the 1800s and the day was called Settler's Day. Yeah. And it was like a, a celebration of a, of the settlement of Australia. Yes. And um, that is that is so suppressive. Yes. Or oppressive because it's it's saying being there, seeing that, being like, how yeah. do you celebrate this? This is mm. utterly mm. offensive, you know, to yes. the dignity yeah. of indigenous mm. people. Yeah. And I think where mm. people get stuck, and I think this is where people need to explore their own um their own story and start, you know, the process of reconciliation within themselves is people get stuck on um, just thinking, feeling like they have to think poorly of their ancestors because they were white. Mm. And I think people get mm. stuck on like, you know, I want to celebrate the fact that my great, great granddad worked mm. hard to provide for my family and set up a new life. And, and I think people almost mm. think that it has to be this dichotomy where you either you know, yeah. are thankful for what your ancestors did um, or, you know, or you have to be kind of grieve and um, try and help mm. reconciliation with Indigenous people. It's like that's – you can mm. you can do both and I think everyone needs to go on their own journey yeah. with that to find, like, how mm. does that fit and how do people um, – you know, mm. you can still honour your ancestors and, and how they've come before you but mm. also still mm. kind of join in on – reconciling um yeah that grief that's happened and how we move forward to yeah. stop yeah completely agree violence that's continuing mm. to happen yeah mm. yeah because like if we think about it like say for example my dad told me that um he didn't even he'd never seen an aboriginal person 
until he moved to Western Australia. Now, my dad's in his 60s and he grew up in probably the lower middle class suburbs in New South Wales. So to me, I'm what I'm, I guess I'm saying there is that there's a structural issue here. There's yeah. an issue of the way that um, education, politics, mm-hmm. um, those with power have tried to, um, how can I put it, <laughs> hide Australia's history, yeah. hide you know, First Nations people, um, hide it from the curriculum, hide it from view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a reason why most state housing is all in the same suburb. So it keeps away from, you know, rich white people who, you know, are offended (laughs) for some reason. Um, And um, so in a way, not to excuse any racist behaviour, racist thinking, but I think that the structures that have been set in place have actually given people these ideas that are so false. Like they don't actually... You know, a lot of people won't know someone who has Aboriginal ancestry. Um, yeah. A lot of a lot of my friends don't. Um, yeah. And so there's all the information we have to go on is the information that others feed us from the education system, from the media. Um, so yeah. we get all these false ideas. And so yeah. it kind of, not yeah. Seen, not heard, you know, it's, and then yeah. it's yeah. relevant to them because... Um, they don't go to their day-to-day life, you know, discussing life with an Aboriginal person and then have to come and um, yes. you know, challenge yeah. their ideas of, yeah, it's just like not seen, not heard. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And it's there is a lot yeah. of effort, whether it's subconscious or conscious, to kind of keep that mm. as the status quo, as just, you know, those mm. problems out there um, rather than everyone needing to discuss them as, Yes. Yeah. And I think like what you're saying about a lot of people don't know an Indigenous person or someone who has Indigenous um, heritage that in terms of, I mean, violence, we're talking about violence, They there was estimated that there was just under a million Indigenous people in Australia before Terra Nullius was declared. And in 1930 mm. it was estimated that that was down to 50,000. So... That is a huge, huge Hmm. amount of people that just lost their lives. So yeah, yeah, it's it's unfathomable. It's just killing, murder, genocide. You know, there's Hmm. the first written account of genocide in the world. I'm talking written account, not of it actually happening. Was in Tasmania of a group of a whole Hmm. indigenous ethnic group down there it was completely wiped out and that was our the world's first mm. written account of that happening but you know it's mm. yeah like there's there's like an insane amount of violence in our history and i, I guess why i keep yeah. bringing up the yeah. fact that it's in our history is because i mean it's a, there's still a lot of i guess racial violence happening and mm. violence that is exists today but without actually going back and unearthing what people have been trying to hide, we're actually never going to get to solving mm. the current issue. And like you said, if we yeah. aren't actually mm. teaching this in our schools, then we're just going to continue to have the same problem of young people mm. growing up, entering adulthood with a sense of mm. kind of apathy because it's it seems irrelevant mm. and continuing... Mm. Um, even if it's just mm, good point. continuing the kind of modern colonisation that's happening in our land. So, yes. if, you know, if we don't do anything about, mm. you know, that edu- that education piece is, is so huge. And if we don't actually acknowledge mm. the past, we can't deal with what's happening now. Um, yes, yeah. Yes, I mean, so those, you know, statistics of people that lost their lives is it's just insane and it's only now gotten back up mm-hmm. to the, the around the same point that it was before terminalius's wow but Isn't now there's also an extra because that know, 22 odd million people also <laughs> on this yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so it's still such a tiny percentage yeah. yeah it when you were saying about um you know unearthing australia's history in order to 
learn from it. It made me think of how like, you know, um, there's, there's something that I, I hear a lot of people who, who respond to my yearly post about January 26th and my protest of it, um, who say we need to move on from the past and get over it. And yet on April 25th, we all say, lest we forget. Mm. We all say we should never forget the violences that happened in, you know, the wars. Um, you know, from my international listeners, that's called Anzac Day. It's the day when we, we, we mourn and commemorate the people who died in Australia and New Zealand, mm. from Australia and New Zealand in the is World War One or World War Two, either one, maybe both. And it's interesting how there's a there's a, a disparity in that thinking. Like yeah. for the one day, you know, for you know the Anzac Day, we go, we can never forget that, so we learn from it and don't do it again. Yeah. But for January twenty sixth, it's a different. It's like no, we need to move on. We need to get over it. Otherwise, we're never going to reconcile. And it just shows that. Whereas, you know, like you're saying, actually, yeah, like people with power get to write their. There you go. Books. So here we yeah. have, mm-hmm. you know, people saying we well, want to make January, sorry, April twenty fifth, this um, beautiful mm-hmm. kind of symbolic Memorial Day because that's something that's important to us and that mm-hmm. reflects our values of um, fighting for our capitalist freedom or whatever it is. I mean, like, they're still definitely, like, not taking away from April 25th. But, yeah, but then saying January 26th, get over it is, yeah, it is a – Yeah. It just shows, yeah, people with power get to write the history books. And and I guess that comes Mm. back to, Mm -hmm. you know, violence is always – there's always, like, someone with power that's wielding – Yes power over and that's where mm. violence occurs and mm. um that's right yeah and so that's mm. a perfect example of that i think yeah 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 and um yeah so we we talk about um in a in the first podcast where i talked about what is violence you know like you said it's not just having power but it's like people using their power to limit somebody else's you know life and so then they can't reach their potential and that might mean you know poorer health outcomes it might mean that physical violence they actually are killed or you know it might mean that they're excluded from society yeah um so i really would love to dig into that more um what would you see what do you see as those modern effects of colonization those modern cultural violences a huge one is the statistics of how much of our young people, Indigenous young people, are locked up and how much mm, the justice system yeah. just works against them. Um, I just I wrote down a mm. – um, so this is off the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare um, website. So 50% of all young people in detention on an average night in 2021 were Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people. But they only make up wow. 60% of the population. So 50% of young Majorly people overrepresented, yeah. That were locked up. And that is not, mm. I mean, you have to be crazy to think um, anything other than the fact that we have failed our Indigenous youth mm. as a society. We have failed them. You know, Indigenous yep. people don't have a predisposition mm. to crime. And to think that would be inherently <laughs> racist. But unfortunately, I think that that idea mm. fits in a lot of the subconscious ideas of a lot of Australians. Yes. Is yeah. just yeah. not realising the prejudice they hold um, against mm. not just Indigenous people, but the idea of what it means to be a criminal or um, like you've talked about, mm. that dichotomy of victim and perpetrator. It's like if you've ever been a perpetrator, you're yeah. ever a perpetrator even though we can't, yes, who decides, yeah. who, you know, who or what a perpetrator is. And, again, it's like the people with power, you know, yeah. um, how this mm. whole system works. And I think that that mm. statistic of 50% of Indigenous young people being, sorry, 50% of young people locked up being Indigenous is a perfect and 
overwhelmingly sad example of systematic violence. Mm. Of yes. how the system mm. is violent towards this mm. group of people. It is so obvious. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, that yeah. in itself, you know, we could probably just talk about that for an hour. Um, that yeah. in itself is <laughs> could. an example. Yeah. But, um, you know, other examples mm. would be um, a really great one is that Indigenous young people across Australia are encouraged to learn English and there's kind of pros and cons mm. to that. The con being, why should they have to learn the tongue of the colonisers, of the people that came to mm. almost like seek to destroy who they are? Why should they then have yes. to turn around and learn their language? Mm. That sucks. But at the same time, yeah. pro of, for them, well, I see a um, pro for them of learning English and I had an Aboriginal mum explain this to me, which changed my mind on it, is that um, all, the story of her son, she spoke about when her son was at a party and things got out of hand and the police came. I think there was people that got into a fight and they immediately walked over to him mm. because he was Aboriginal and said, bro, why do you have some blood in your leg? What's going on there? And questioned him about, and that was like a prior injury that he had. Wow. But because oh. he had learned good Australian standard English, he was able to then explain and get himself out of that situation. Mm. But imagine an Aboriginal person mm. in this position that didn't have the English skill um, yeah. to explain mm. and, um, but also the kind of cultural nuances of um, being able to explain mm. to the police officer um, in a way that yeah. could get him out of that situation. So, mm. yeah, so the fact that Indigenous people across Australia are having to learn English um, just to mm. survive, to keep themselves out of prison, <laughs> is a bit of a yeah. trouble. But and, unfortunately that's... And as you said, it's more... it's. It's language, but it's also those cultural nuances. It's like the, the the habitus we talk about in social social sciences, like that stuff that you grow up with of how to engage with with someone. Mm. Like that doesn't it come? We think it comes naturally, but it's actually been ingrained into us. Yeah. And so for the, for that young guy, like he had those skills, but not like you said, not every young person is going to have those skills. No. But the fact that they should have to mm. is the is the injustice exactly? And again, it's mm, that exactly. cultural mm. um, that, in terms of relating it to violence, of I believe like cultural stripping you of your cultural um, mm. Mm. identity, whether that be through language or through mm. um, dance mm. or through um, the rituals that you have. If you can't perform those or, yeah. or speak your language, I, th I believe that that is a form of violence because it's taking away the dignity yes. that you have in your culture. It's mm. saying that your culture is lesser. Mm. Yeah, I mean, probably mm. another example as well is yeah. um, out here in Balgo, we don't pay for water. So we have water that comes through our taps and we can drink it. But the water is such wow. poor quality that... It, um, it's like proven to, over time, aid in all sorts of hospitalizations <laughs> that have happened. Wow. So there's people in their 50s and 60s that are having to get, mm. that have issues with their heart, kidneys, uh, mostly the kidneys, and the water that mm. we drink out here, like, isn't quality enough. So I remember growing up, saving money and doing fundraising in school for like getting wells in Africa for like people all over the world to like have access to quality mm. drinking water. Yet in Balgo, the, the, everyone here doesn't have access to quality drinking water in Australia. Yeah. The it's water here. Yeah. Is so mm. there's so many chemicals in it to treat it that it causes long-term mm. health issues. I mean, isn't that in itself mm. a form of violence? Like this, yeah. Water that is provided is. for these people is hurting them. Mm. That is, you know, there's, mm. there's so many levels to which even today 
Indigenous people don't have the same equal access um, due to the systemic violence and the systemic mm. racism that yes. is in yeah. our schools, it's in our justice system, it's in our hospitals, it's in our government, it's mm. it's everywhere. And, mm. you know, mm. all the young people across Australia that we're trying to support as youth workers, um, you know, we I guess we have to deal with that reality and that Indigenous people yes. just are, they just are starting off already losing in the current system that we have mm. and it's such a shame and i guess yes. why i i know this is about race and violence and i guess why i'm just focusing so specifically in on this indigenous issue is that i don't think that we can really discuss racism in australia if we can't actually solve mm. these issues or if we can't or if we're not open or willing to yes discuss mm. it and that's why we, we can't have this attitude mm. of let's just move on because yeah it's just going to mm. continue to perpetuate the violence and the racism that mm. is happening today that's right mm. yeah yeah because the underlying thing behind all of that is you know citizens of balgo matter less than citizens of perth yeah. That's the, the underlying assumption. It's it's the treatment like they're not as human as we are. Mm. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's right. <laughs> going back to those old ways of thinking. Yeah. yeah. And if they need extra support, you know, because you're living in a remote town that needs extra support to have access to health and water and food, well, that's their problem. They can deal with that. Yeah. So... Yeah. The government kind of washes its hands of it, yeah, and yeah. you know that's that's a violence to say that that those people don't matter as much. Yeah, um, and it's so yeah. and there's so much, so, I, so many ways that um, it's handled so poorly. There's in some ways money is just thrown at remote communities, mm. and if you look at some of the statistics and data, it's like hold on, there's so much money, so much funding going to these places and spaces. Like, that should be enough. That's sweet. But a lot of it, it's, it's mm. just misuse of funding, really. Like, as an example, yeah. you know, you yeah. could fly out a dentist and, you know, treat everyone, uh, you know, mm. once a week and have someone. Or you could pay thousands of dollars for someone to have to fly to Broome, which is probably the closest proper hospital, when, you know, if they get a mm. tooth that's so infected or so bad, that then they finally have to like fly them out and treat them. It's like that's that's a misuse of funds and that you could have just prevented mm. these issues. And that's that's it. It's like mm. there's so much money that goes into um, like tick box um, ways of dealing yes. with the issue rather than, yeah, yeah mm. let's, let's actually help with this prevention issue and actually help let Indigenous people yeah. have determination over how they want Yes. What they kind of health to look like in their space, mm. and instead of just like enforcing mm. this idea of like mm. this is what it means to be healthy or or look healthy and yeah 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 yeah. There's no consultation. There's no actually these people are like the experts on their own lives. They know what goes on. Yeah. There's the they've been again, here for thousands this, of years. That's, <laughs> yeah 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 and yeah when you think about it. Um, you know, there's that long thousands of years of history, but so much of that connection to those, well, um, forgive me if I'm wrong here, but from my understanding, so much that connection to those, those histories of here's how you survive this yeah. has also been stripped because of the stripping of culture. Yeah. So it forces, you know, Aboriginal people to depend on the system yeah. to survive. For sure. Yeah, and, and then they're not given what they need to do that. <laughs> yeah, like, and I think mm. there's there is a slow there is a shift happening in some areas. Like when the horrific you know bushfires happened um, at the beginning of 2020, mm. um, people there was this shift to like hold on, Indigenous people have been doing backburning practices for thousands of years. They kind of know what they're doing, and we should yeah. probably start listening to them. <laughs> yeah. But an Indigenous person <laughs> wouldn't have been 
recognize as holding knowledge of value mm. because the current view mm. of education is such a westernized view of how you yes do education and, and how you gain knowledge that mm. cultural mm. knowledge isn't considered important or seen as credible mm. and there as i said like there's mm. some slow shifts happening and there's still a lot of good there's every now and then you know i hear a story of somewhere in australia of an indigenous group getting some of their land back and it's amazing such mm. like so worth celebrating it's so important it's like mm. stop and take some time i know i need it for me in my mental health take some time to celebrate yeah. the wins and it's beautiful mm. and there's so many mm. more people that are becoming aware of how I guess they've almost been implicitly involved in colonisation and mm. um, becoming more aware mm. of how they can be involved in reconciliation and not just be apathetic to the issue. There is a big shift but yeah, there's still yeah. so much more work to do. And I guess, mm. Um, mm. yeah, so to say that it's all in the past I guess would be wrong because as we've talked yeah. about there's still a lot of violence that's happening mm. um mm. physical violence and um some of that we talk about kind of narrow and broad views of violence like all of it's happening to indigenous people yes yeah um, yeah. <laughs> yeah and i think like mm. indigenous people also like you said have the answers to a lot of um the issues but we're just like we're not really listening to them mm. and Hopefully mm. that shift will continue mm. to happen where there's a lot more self-determination for Indigenous people to um, solve a lot of their issues. Well, basically they need to be given mm. power mm. To, to do so. But yes. giving up power <laughs> isn't um, what a lot of people are interested in doing, um, especially not what the government is interested in doing. So, um, yeah. No, they like their power. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So I've just written down some notes of things that you said, like the yeah. of modern kind of forms of uh, violence, race-based violence, mm. you know, the overpopulation of Aboriginal young boys in particular in prison, which for our international listeners, then they may not be aware that in Australia, um, in Western Australia in particular, um, young people can be imprisoned as young as 10 yeah. And that is a violence to strip a child of their childhood mm. and lock them up away from their family and their culture and their community um, rather than rehabilitation, whatever that might look like. Mm. Um, there's the over-policing of Aboriginal young people, like assumed guilt yes. um, from birth. Um, there's the, the stripping of language and saying, no, you need to learn English. English is our language rather than those who work in those communities actually seeking to learn local language. Mm -hmm. um, there's access to, to water and food and um, good health um, services. Um, and then there's the, the prioritization of white wisdom and knowledge mm -hmm. rather than actually recognizing that we may not know, you know, because uh, we are a very small sliver of Australia's history and you know there's so much wisdom before that um yeah really good really good stuff to to dig into Jenna um and um I'm wondering you know because you're a youth worker yeah. um you participate in training of youth workers as well so what would be your you know pitch to youth workers to say here's what you can do in this space to challenge this violence yeah yeah so i've got a few i've actually written some down i'm so prepared cool <laughs> um, the first one is <laughs> so don't assume that mm. um and i'm speaking to youth workers here don't assume that you will be given adequate education around um indigenous issues indigenous affairs indigenous culture um, mm. especially if you are going to work with Indigenous young people, I think it's so, so important that um, you come in with just like a learning attitude. 
Mm-hmm. The, so that's probably the first one. Uh, the second one would be, especially if you're, if you're working with non-Indigenous young people, um, and even more so, especially if you're working with privileged young people, I, I believe that there's almost kind of a moral obligation to, uh, how do I put this? To involve young people, I guess, in the decolonizing of the world around you and the world around them. Because I think what would be a tragedy is if we are alongsiding all these young people, but then they can they grow up into adults that then still perpetuate modern colonization. So yes. I think there is a level of mm. um, we are required as as youth workers to do what we can in that space to to not just mm. the, the colonization that's happening in our world, but how do we open the eyes of young people to see that mm. we need to decolonize our spaces and our thinking and our yes. ways of being because we can't mm. and we can't tackle this issue of um, racism if we can't mm. first realize how much of our world has been colonized. So I think, yeah, yes. helping young people mm. to see there's work that needs to be done around decolonizing. Mm. Um, mm. The another one would probably be I've heard you talk about that um, obligation as youth workers around challenging the system, and I guess that's kind of mm. what I what what I've already mentioned. But I think a specific way that that can be done is what you've already brought up is that currently in Australia the law in most states is that you can lock up young people as young as 10, mm. which is just a joke. Like 10-year-olds are just little children. It's disgusting. Mm. Yeah, it's horrific. Mm. So there's a, there is a bit of a movement mm. and a lot of organisations, especially advocacy organisations, have, have this as an issue that they want to tackle. And I think we're going to see a bit more movement of this issue mm. over the next couple of years. So I think that's just a really practical mm. way that any youth worker can, can get involved with assisting young people across Australia is let's change the age, mm. which is the, um, I think, the yeah. UN recommended mm. age. Um, so that 10 to 14 yeah. year olds at least have an alternative way of, I mean, I don't, I don't like prison mm. together, but let's at least stop locking up 10 year olds. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so that's a really practical way that the youth sector, mm. us as youth workers, as individuals can challenge the system and mm. can make a change because mm. the justice system is so designed against Indigenous young people. This is a way that we can stop mm. Indigenous young people getting more traumatised when they go into these spaces and yes. have more chance mm. of healing and more mm. chance of reconciling. Um, mm. And the last one I'd probably say is that I think a great thing that all youth workers can be doing is starting their reconciliation journey within themselves. So I kind of touched on that already. A mm. part of that is like learning about your own ancestry and where you've come from and recognising that um, Australia's history is riddled with so much violence, but reconciling within ourselves how that all fits with the current story and the current work mm. that we're trying to be doing. Um, mm. I think that will that's a huge leap in terms of then being able to go out and assist with reconciliation that happens in our organisations, mm. in the youth sector, in mm. the you know government sectors that some people may work in or work alongside. I think, but I think it needs to start with us. Mm. It needs to start with ourselves and yes. how we see totally. ourselves yeah. on this land as a part of the story. And you know, mm. no matter how apathetic or ignorant we've been before. It doesn't matter. What matters is what we do today and how we tackle tomorrow mm. and how we're fighting for mm. Indigenous youth in Australia. And I will say that I, it is a myth that you need to learn about Indigenous affairs and, and I guess the experience of Indigenous young people unless you're actually working with them. That's definitely a myth. I think even mm. if you end up oh, yeah, doing, yeah. You know, going your whole career never having a young person that you work with that even identifies as Aboriginal, mm. that doesn't matter. I think mm. we do have an obligation to mm. our Indigenous young people. And I think mm. 
if we can start there, then we can tackle the bigger issues of just race and violence that's happening mm. um, in Australia in general yeah. and across the world. So youth mm. workers have so much. Yeah, more. I mean. That's just, yeah, it's such a amazing space we find ourselves in where for a job we get to be a mm. part of helping young people shape how they see their future and I think a part of yes. that can be assisting in decolonizing and reconciling um, the country, mm. which is mm. relevant not just to Australia but to every country that still has <laughs> colonization right. place, which is most <laughs> Shout out to Tonga and It's most of the world. <laughs> We're never colonised <laughs> and a few other places. So I missed that. Which countries? Tonga. I think we're the only one in the Pacific. And Ethiopia, oh, we're the only ones in Africa not to be colonised. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good on that. So much grief and trauma <laughs> from something that is so yes. widespread around mm. the world that happened over the last mm. hundred years. But, yeah. Well, that's right. And I think that's important for Australians to recognise, I think. When they say, you know, when I hear people say things like, you know, get over it, move on, have a look at all the countries that have um, populations that were massacred Mm. to the point of almost being wiped out, countries that were colonised. It's the same issues exist in every country with those those people groups. Um. The issues we've talked about are not unique to Australia. They just look a little different here. And so that says a lot about that this is actually a human issue for the world to think about. Um, You know, like I even thought of how, um, as far as I'm aware, that even in a country like Singapore, which people praise as being the best at diversity, they're doing really well but not quite there, the Indigenous Malays of Singapore are still, you know, the most oppressed, the poorest, the, you know, in general. So it's it's everywhere. Um, and I really appreciate how you've said that this is every youth worker and every person's responsibility, whether or not you have contact with Aboriginal people or not, because um, we are shaping young people in the way that they think about Aboriginal people. So... Um, the way we talk, the way we think, the way we respond to, you know, racist or misguided ideas. So, yeah, really appreciate those those four points, um, you know, about what youth workers can do. Yeah, um, and it is and obviously just one person's I've, opinion. <laughs> and But that's a part of the education. Sure, sure. Like when you educate yourself, you'll uncover so many more mm. um, grains of wisdom right. from amazing indigenous people that are doing mm. so much in the space of of um change mm. and advocacy and yeah there's so much gold out there yeah yeah and i think that at the very least if all our listeners just did the first thing you said of come with a learning attitude mm. to listen and not to bring your ideas but just to put them aside mm-hmm. and to listen to listen deeply i think if we just did that, at least we could see some real change. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for your wisdom, for sharing your story and um, for educating us. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation, Jenna. So thank you so much. Yeah. I've, it's been a, I've had a great time. Yeah. It's been really good. And even though some of the things mm. I think are so dark and, you know, it is, I mean, violence isn't a, <laughs> isn't a nice, happy topic, mm. um, but I do, I get excited about the idea that there's people that are listening and, and willing and open to learning and mm. being a part of this change. So, yeah, no, it's been really great. Thanks yeah. so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All My right. pleasure. No worries. Thanks, All right. Talk soon. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast. 
As a bit of a summary of our podcast and our conversation, we talked about how it's important for us to understand our history so that we can understand uh, how that impacts our current environment. We also talked about the importance of listening and um, having a learning attitude so that we recognise and are able to recognise the way that current structures and cultures and um, symbolic violences are occurring, how they're affecting minorities such as the Aboriginal people in Australia. Uh, the, the other thing we talked about is how we can work with young people to decolonize Australia. So how we can work with not only Aboriginal young people, but also non-Aboriginal young people to challenge the system and to challenge colonizing thinking. We talked about um, advocating for young people to challenge the system, such as uh, the imprisonment of children as young as 10 in Australia. And lastly, we talked about how we need to reconcile within ourselves our own history with it, with that of Australia's history and um, with our desire to seek reconciliation in Australia. Thanks for listening.